What is the face of a coward? The back of his head as he runs from the battle. What's going on, guys? MDLP, the Battle Axe Podcast, coming at you with episode 23. And obviously, of course, let me not even go any further without introducing my handsome bear in the north. Uh, I'm tripping up all over myself because I'm <laughs> smiling so much. We're so fucking stupid. God. Johnny Bang, say hello. Hi, what's up, guys? We're fucking cheesy <laughs> to be here. Like, us? I wish people were in the room right now. We're like, why are we like this? No, we're super serious when we do this. We're super angry about everything. I yeah. just took an ammonia tablet. <laughs> um, first and foremost, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been listening to our podcast. We have 23 episodes, 12,000 listens, which is fucking bananas. Nuts. Um, we want to be very grateful for all of you and appreciative for everything you guys have done. And the repost and everything is very special to us. So I wanted to shout out to everybody who has listened to us since the beginning and all the people new to go back in the older episodes. It's, it means a lot to us. Um, and we're, lo- we're loving the fact that people actually um, give us actual feedback, which is amazing. So big shout out to everybody. Yeah, that's great. Here's another key. <laughs> <laughs> If you're on iTunes, you can go to our podcast and you can go and leave a review. All the reposts are awesome and that's great and a lot of eyes get seen. But what you can do is for people who have never heard us or probably won't see you on social media, they'll see us get bumped up into the ranks of podcasts that people are enjoying. And that is critical in in terms of us growing the podcast and maybe hopefully being monetized that we could do this like... Like for a living? Yeah. Like kind of, like a yeah. side hustle. Yeah, right. Which nah. is basically living in Miami where everything's <laughs> a fucking side hustle. Yeah, yeah. You got 16 jobs because you're an entrepreneur. I have to wear glasses now, John. Can you imagine this shit? <laughs> I like being seen a little bit more clear. Yeah, I guess. Um, I so went from blurry blob to the regular blob. <laughs> Yo, the, I can't believe I'm wearing glasses. I hate it. And it's funny because I have nothing to read, but when I do read, I'm like, I should have worn my fucking glasses. So... Um, a big special episode today. I know we say that about every episode, but honestly, every episode is special. And we always come with an intent, and then we let it ride. We don't edit our episodes. We just go for two hours, and we have passion for what we do and what we say. And I just want to say that a uh, big shout-out to both of us. I mean, whatever. I'm going to pat us on the back just a little bit. But for all of you guys that are asking, because it's true, you guys do ask, we don't edit our shows. Edit, a, we don't know how. Yeah, that's most <laughs> that's important. True. And B, it's just like fucking improv, so we're after it. Um <laughs> But we wanted to touch some base today, A, on the Arnolds and speaking different things on like aging and getting into new sports. A lot of the times when we talk on this podcast, it's reflective of what's going on in our lives. Thus, it gives it a very genuine feel. Um, Maybe you guys are going through some of this yourselves or will or have never. Um, But it's something to think about when we are talking and when we are communicating with everybody that a lot of this stuff is coming from a genuine place of curiosity, experience. And in some cases, knowledge, because we've walked the walk or we've talked the talk. So this one in particular, obviously, you guys hear a lot of that about um, dealing with new sports and aging and getting older. And it's and I will talk about it later in the podcast. I will show you and I'll explain to you why this is a universal thing across all ages. And the concept of it is universally sound. And we're going to get to it and what that means. But. We did want to touch base, obviously. Just came back from the Arnolds. Um, Congratulations to Alexandra and Brandy. You girls did amazing. Yeah. Placing in the top percentile at Worlds, which is considered in trauma, and Arnolds was considered the first Worlds for us. It was a cool experience. Nobody was fucking there. (laughs) So it was awesome um, because I got to see 
the pro strongman, the top 10 strongest guys in the world compete like 10 feet away with no interruptions. It was just strongman and coaches. Wow. That's it. So can you imagine, you know, when you see the picture of the Arnolds and there's like thousands of people yeah. crowding, it was, it looked like you were at nationals. It was just strongman, coaches, one vendor and fucking Thor deadlifting 1,028 for fun. Like it was fucking, God. it was badass, and it was for those of you guys that were asking how the experience was, and yeah, we didn't really touch base on that. It was a double-edged sword, you know. I, I'm sure there's competitors you you love the feel of the crowd, and but there was a crowd, and everybody in that crowd, and the strongman, they called it the strongman arena, I believe. It was just one corner where everyone competed on the same stage for the first time ever. Oh, that's cool. Typically, the pros are off in one corner, and this, but no. The wheel of pain was right there in the background. They d- as soon as the amateurs went, the yeah. the next people, the pros were up, and the pro women. It was just like we were all hanging out. Yeah, it was crazy. It's like it was a great feeling. Do you think that the uh, the support is better for the athlete when it's your peers as opposed to just the random crowd? I, I would say yes and no. I think having strangers cheer for you is very special. Yeah. When a, you hear a person that has nothing to do with you cheer you on, it makes you feel very special. It's kind of what we all compete for. But because all the people, most of the people in the audience were strength athletes, there's also a high level of appreciation. We all know what's going on. Yeah. We all know what it takes to get there. So there was a little bit more cheering. We know what a yoke feels like. We're not confused by the events. Right. We know when to cheer. We know kind of strategically if they're resting or calling it quits, not because they're pussies, but because they're saving their energy for the next stuff. So... At that at that level, it was pretty awesome to just see that interaction. Yeah. Um, and I know, and I'll speak from a coach's perspective, it was kind of a dream come true to get to see your athletes and then the best in the world and others, like, just in the same area. So it was phenomenal. Do you have a... <laughs> Do you have an emotional connection to one over the other? Because now you've had athletes at Worlds for Powerlifting and, and now Worlds for Strongman. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I've had an emotional attachment to the Arnold's for eight years. When I first started strongman, my biggest goal was to make it to the Arnold's. I refused to travel to the Arnold's until I qualified. That's just the way I, I, I told myself. Um, I had chances to go uh, on my own um, and I never went. Now this was the first time that I was flown out by my athletes as a coach. So I quote unquote, I've had two other females make it, so this is the fourth females. I had four females make it into the Arnold's. I've had chances to go, but this is the first time that I got invited to go. Mm. So I technically qualified as a coach, which was bittersweet, because when I saw the Arnold statue, it was this feeling of um, not being let down, but it just didn't taste the same. You know, True. It was just like, I'm not here as an athlete, and I swore to myself that I'd, I'd one day make it. Now... It doesn't mean that I won't make it one day, but realistically, the first time was as a coach. Now, there was that coach-athlete conversation in my head, like, look, man, be proud of yourself. You got here for a reason. And then there's the other voice, like, you should have made it as a fucking athlete. <laughs> like, <laughs> sure. Um, so it was, it was. I don't want to say bittersweet, because it was much more sweet than it was bitter. Yeah. But for some of us out there that have had a goal in mind for years and years and years, it's kind of like, damn, how how much do I wish I would have made it as an athlete? And I would have been posing in front of that Arnold statue as an athlete. Yeah. Um, with a number and the, the Strongman USA with De La Pava on the back. Like, that's been my goal since I started Strongman. So 
Um, it, I'm much more attached, obviously, to strongman. Powerlifting is not that I'm detached from it. It's just it hasn't been my passion. And I going to Worlds as a coach and powerlifting was just sweet. <laughs> there yeah. was no bitter sweetness. You know, I never had to get there as an athlete. And it was incredible to be in Ireland and be a part of something so special and see them compete at that level. And to even say I have athletes make it to Worlds is a pretty, pretty cool. You um, have more female athletes make it, huh? I do. So you could say that the battle axe generates the strongest women in <laughs> Florida? Yeah, I don't know. I see that's a slippery slope, don't you dare. <laughs> it just we are the strongest gym in one thirty third court in West Kendall. So that's it. Yeah. But I do generate It's a, a very long street. It's a very long, long street. Long, long and my mom agrees, so she's cool. <laughs> she um is. she's super cool. To to be frank, I've actually produced yeah, two two uh, na- national champions in uh, that are women that are masters. I produced four honor qualifiers, one female state champion, three, two world powerlifting um, uh, qualifiers. But I'll be the thing that I'm most proud of that most of my athletes are homegrown. Yeah, like I, I developed them from nothing, from a barbell or never having started strongman or never seen an implement, most of my athletes that have gotten to that level have been fully developed homegrown. I, I haven't, I, very few have I received one that was very high level, and they're like, okay, I'm fine-tuning a high-level athlete. Yeah. Um, that's something I'm very, very proud of. How come you don't talk about it more? I don't, I feel, that's a good question. I, it's a slippery slope. My personality sometimes comes off like I'm bragging. Mm. Um, I'm very out, like outgoing and ambitious, and I can be fucking cocky, and I don't want that to rub anywhere near my athletes. I don't want it to, to be like, ooh, that's my athlete. Look what I did. So then, then people look upon my athlete negatively because of my attitude, mm. or the way people perceive me. Um, it's one thing that I've kind of detached myself. Sometimes, I just repost their stories or I say, hey, good job. Not like, hey, man, I developed you from nothing. Because remember you were nothing. Yeah, you were nothing before <laughs> me. <laughs> there it goes. Um, but I I want my my work to speak for itself, and it speaks silently through their posts, through their efforts, and the people that need to know know, and the people that don't need to know will never know, and I'm fine with that. Mm. I I want my athletes to feel like I appreciate them, so I do repost their work, or I say congratulations. But I also don't want to come off like I'm fucking bragging about what I did and, again, reflect negatively upon them. I think that actions and the words of my athletes and their culture and the way they uphold themselves speaks much louder than anything I can do. You know, I am who I am. Yeah. And I would hate for any one of my guys or girls to be looked on a certain way because I'm not fucking, look at me, bro, look at the size of my dick, I'm awesome. They'd be like, fuck you and fuck your athlete. But so. you know what? My question to that would be like, do you think that hinders you a bit in business? It does financially, um, to be very truthful with you. Yeah, sure. I could be making way more money. Then again, if I wanted money, I wouldn't have been a fucking coach. <laughs> and I wouldn't have opened the gym. <laughs> I could tell you that right now. Um, so it doesn't bother me. There's a lot of things I could be doing that could increase financially. I just don't like that look. Yeah, sure. I know when I look on Instagram, I know the difference between a coach talking about an athlete and a coach selling himself. I know the difference between an athlete expressing themselves and a cocky piece of shit or trying to sell a fucking pair of shorts. I know the difference between people putting food on their table and people being a fucking walking ad. And I know the difference, and I know everyone knows the difference. Society's wicked smart. Oh, so fucking smart. smart. (laughs) Um, 
And people don't give enough credit to the social media intelligence. And I don't like that shit. Yeah. But I like to know that when I get behind something, it's because I fucking mean it. And if I'm trying to sell you something, like my shirts, I'm like, I'm trying to sell you something. <laughs> I need to pay bills. You know what I mean? Like, So that's, yeah, you're absolutely right. It does hurt me financially. I could be generating a lot more online clients. But I want people to find me the way it should be found. Like, right. Reading between the lines and those typical, I have, I have online online athletes that have been with me for years. You know, Richard uh, Richard Van Acker and Alex Sanderson have been training under me for five, six years. Wow. Because they found me that way. And we've built loyalty and camaraderie and uh, rapport. But it, it didn't come from me like, hey, buddy, you need an online coach. It's more like, hey, Michael, do you do online coaching? I'm like, well, yes, I do. And I did it before. I don't want to say this, but I did it before. It's cool. Um, <laughs> when online coaching was looked at negatively. Yeah. It was. Five or six years ago, it was looked on like, you're a sellout. That's stupid. You're just trying to make money. I'm like, dude, <laughs> they want programming. I can do And now, everyone their fucking grandma was an online coach. But anywho, um, which we talked about in one of our episodes. But um, yeah, man, it, it it's irrelevant. The, the financial things like that don't don't really matter. At least at this point in my life. Yeah, sure. Because I don't want to say I'll never be like that because that's stupid. Of course. Watch, I'll fuck that up in like five years. I'm like, do you want an online coach? <laughs> Come on down. For four easy pays, it's at forty nine ninety nine. Fuck. Here's my PayPal, guy. This is glute programs yeah. with lateral leg Glute race. blaster. You want a better squat? I got you. <laughs> fuck. My life is a lie. Oh, man. I try to. That's a conversation I have all the time. I'm like, they're literally only doing one movement the whole time. This is bullshit. Yeah. I said no salmon. <laughs> <laughs> Idiot. So you got a chance to enjoy the Arnolds and it was pretty cool. Like some of the some of the guys who've been in the game, um, I'm not gonna try to butcher his name, but what did you think of the performance from the Russian guy who tore his ankle up? Misha. Misha, that's it, yeah. Misha is one of my favorite oh man, I'm glad you asked me about that. Um I've been following most of us, I would say, but I've been following Misha forever. Yes, yeah. you know, he's one of the older strongmans. Old 41, quote unquote. Um, and he's always been known for his courage, his will. He's also very, very nice. He's very formal. Always says hi to everybody. Doesn't speak a lick of English, um, but doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't come off as rude. It just doesn't yeah. want to learn English. Um, <laughs> Blame him. I got to see him in the hallway before, before he rolled his ankle. Um, and then I actually saw him being worked on um, by the doc. And I was like, shit, his ankle is huge. And one of the guys was like, Oh man, I think Misha's out. I'm like, nah. I'm like, that motherfucker's gonna compete. You'll see. He goes, yeah, you're right. Wow. And we both looked at each other like, yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna fucking suck this up and blow him. Behold. I mean, Johnny, like a fucking balloon. I it saw wasn't the picture. a picture. Yeah, it wasn't like he. Oh, I, I kind of no. He blew that ankle up and it was already swollen. Yeah. So it wasn't the next day. Like at the moment, that's when you really fuck up your ankle. Um, and I thought it was so inspiring. Um, I think all of us can say that. Yeah, you, you know. Courage always dances dances on the line of kind of stupidity, and if you're gonna be dumb, you got to be tough. It's my favorite, one of my favorite <laughs> sayings of all time. Yeah. Well, that motherfucker was tough. Yeah. I mean, didn't you can see him limping around, and yeah, he kind of, kind of like a couple of times, he's like, damn. But his whole attitude is like, look, man, I'm here. Yeah. Like, we're gonna fuck. When he did the frame carry, the timber carry, dude, on up a hill with a torn ankle. Yeah. No complaints, man. He just sucked it up, and I'm like, wow, bro. Like, this should be a testament of a just general courage but and strongman but how we should be you know a hurt animal should be the most dangerous 
being civilized is what tells us to be scared when we're hurt. Yeah. That's civility whispering bullshit in your ear. His ankle looked a lot like mine after I tore two ligaments. Yeah, that's what he said. It tore ligaments. Yeah. yeah that's what happened. That's like, how it swells. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, like, I know that. Like my, my, I did the same thing in rugby. My immediate response after tearing it was like, I'm going to throw up here. <laughs> this, I'm going to puke. <laughs> this hurts. Yeah. I, I didn't even have a grasp of the pain that was going through my body yet because my body was like, you're going to throw up and then you're going to feel this pain. <laughs> I didn't puke. I wanted to. Yeah. And then it was like. Do I sit down or do I, what do I do here? Yeah, this hurts a lot. So I limped to my car and I'm like, eh, got home, threw some ice on it. I'm like, it'll be fine. Went to go to the bathroom like two hours later. I'm like, everything is bad. <laughs> <laughs> everything is so bad. Did I break something? Yeah. The, I mean, I remember rolling an ankle. I rolled my ankle and tore some ligaments in rugby Oof. and I played the rest of the season with it. Of Oops. course you did. That's why that ankle's bad. But triple tape. Yeah, triple tape. Because there was only one prop. And it was just like, hey, buddy, you know, wear boots. I wore high top boots, tape, and like two ankle supports. And I'm like, you're playing. I'm like, I'm playing. Wow. I mean, no. And it was that, that you know, it's bad when the night of is a, is big. That's when you probably do like small tears or, you know, level ones and level twos. Three, you're fucked. I looked and I'm like, wow, that's a cool shade of purple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it gets all on the bottom of your foot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but to be. To bring back to bring it back around, uh, seeing that a lot of guys that don't know, uh, Misha had rolled his ankle in warm up. Um, he's one of the top ten guys there. He's always a crowd favorite. He's been in the game for a while, um, and he pushed through the entire event and competed and got six. Yeah, he was in striking distance. He for was, a and too. you know what? He pulled nine something pretty easily on you know almost on one leg because you only so much you can press. Yeah. Um, and it was very impressive. It was very, very impressive. It was uh, seeing those guys battle through everything. Belshock, too, who pretty much is retiring from the sport, saying, you know, his hip is so bad. I mean, he was literally picking up the sandbag, like, in a side lunge position because he couldn't even bend his right hip. And it was heartbreaking to see him. One of the, literally so much potential, very young. Yeah. Just being broken down like that, but still going out there and, like, no negative attitude. No bullshit. And I kind of wanted people to see it. Like, this is how you're supposed to be in competition. You get hurt, you suck it up. You hold that character high. This is how you're supposed to be in life. Like, when you get knocked down, you have an injury. Like, and I hate it. Like, nobody cares. No, people fucking care. Yeah. But you can't act that way because life is a wild animal. And it'll pick you apart when you show that weakness consistently. People will pick you apart your job will pick you apart. Your life choices, your family, your friends, without even knowing, are going to treat you differently because you're out there limping around, hurting all, acting all hurt and upset. I'm like, fuck that shit. That's why when I tell you, every time I get hurt, I get like in my feelings for like a couple hours and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to show up to the gym in a bad attitude. I'm not going to tell somebody to train with a bad attitude. I'm not going to go sure. home being a fucking pussy. So it was just so reflective, and it was so inspiring for me in that moment because I came there with a shitty knee and a bicep that was hurt. I'm like, no, there's a way. When, as, you, <clears throat> as you've developed as a coach and you've gotten deeper into not only going through experiences with injury but also understanding injuries in other people, did you find that it was easier to deal with the mental challenges of being injured? <laughs> Good question. Um, it's never easy. I've never had an easy injury. That'd be a lie. That would be I'd be lying to you. Anyone that says that is also a lie. Injury, let's be clear, 
an injury is what limits you in your sport and should limit you in your day-to-day tasks. That's an injury. Being hurt, like my knee is hurt, my bicep is hurt. I'm not injured. When I tore my bicep tendon, when I ruined my spine, when I tore my hamstrings, when I ruined my ribs, when I broke fingers and bones, I'm injured because I couldn't really walk, I couldn't really function, I needed help. So I made just quite clear what injury means to me. There's never been an easy one. Uh, the task is always unique. It's like, it's like sand. The path in the sand is ever-changing. It goes left and right and up and down. It's, you have to accept that injury feels like a desert. It's desolate, and you're thirsty for something, and you can't get it. And you see mirages, and you think you're better, and then you wake up the next day, and you're not better. And you're like, fuck. That's not water. It was, a, it was an image. It was a, it was a mirage. It was a lie. You know, you go up the stairs once, and you're like, I'm good. Then you go back down, and you're like, I'm not good. And it's this shifting of the sand and the wind, and you feel the pellets and the dryness, and you're like, I'm never getting better. And that happens. That's reality. It's unique. Sometimes it lasts for days, and sometimes it lasts for hours. And you sit in this kind of plummet. The only thing you get good at is that you become better at persevering. You start, we talked about this before. It's like dealing with loss. Losing someone or something, it never gets easy. It doesn't, it doesn't get easier. You just learn to deal with that pain in a unique way. You magnify it or you put it somewhere else or you use it. You, it's there always forever. And we're always going to pick that scab. And that is what injury does to you physiologically and mentally and physically, obviously. Your body will never be the same when you tear your hamstring. Never. That hamstring will never be the same. When you break your bones, when you hurt your spine, when you go under the knife, face it, bro, you'll never be the same. It's not a new part. <laughs> it's a, a damaged part. Now, less damage, but it won't be the same. And you're lo- more likely to re-injure that. I was just looking at an article with brain injury. Remember I sent it to you in the link? Yeah. Getting hit in the head and the long-term damage that your brain and your the way you react in your body and your skull are never going to be the same when you get really hit. But you learn to deal with that. You embrace it. And mentally... It's not that I've, it's like I said, I'm really good at being bad. Yeah. And I'm good with, I'm good with dealing with that shit. Like I, I look at it as a, as life has just handed me something to work on. And between you and me, John, if I don't have something to work for or on, I'm going to die. And I don't even say that like, I say that because I mean it. Yeah. I need tasks and I need them to feel and to be alive. Like some of you out there listening Oh, I need a competition to to lose weight. I'm like, okay, magnifying that times ten. That's the I need something to work on, to feel alive. Mm. And I put myself in these situations to generate tasks, leadership, responsibility, things that are far fetched for me because inside I'm a fucking wild animal that hates everything. So I'm like, no, motherfucker, you're gonna open up a gym where people look up to you. I'm like, oh, fuck face, you know, like <laughs> why'd you do that, you know? And being injured has taught me these things and. It's hard. You get hurt, and the first thing you think is, why me? Again, it's never going to get better. This is hard. And once you pass that initial sand dune, you start moving forward and finding things to do. You find shelter. You find a little bit of water. You find some food. You do rehab. You set a game plan. You pick a different sport. You find a new PT. You get in the gym. You wake up, and the bruising is gone. And you went down that single stairs, and one of the stairs didn't hurt. You had one good day out of seven that helped you. Fuck, thank your stars. The alternative is being dead, bro. 
That's how I see it. I have to talk to myself like that. So if you ask me how much it's helped me for me to do with that stuff, it's every time is hard. I've never been injured and been like, I'll be fine. This is easy. Bullshit. It's yeah. I'm just it's it's just really easy at being hard. Like I'm good at that shit. Yeah. You know? Um so yeah, that's kinda how I see it. No, that's that's a great explanation and I think more people need to understand that. Especially for me, it's a question. <laughs> I selfishly always ask the question. Like <laughs> yeah, but they're fucking and, great. Um, and I think it's just because I've, I'm a person the same way. Like if I, I am very good at turning things off. Right. So I need to hear like, hey, dude, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And, and you know, I think we all do. Um, but it's important to make that voice very internal, at least sometimes. Yeah. You know, at least sometimes hear that within. Um, especially when it comes to injury or hardships or trying new things. Sure. Um, and obviously it transcends into everything. New jobs, new relationships, new friendships. I mean, none of that is the same. <laughs> Ever. You know? So, <coughs> as an aging athlete, because I just turned 38. <sighs> Young. In your prime. In my prime. Fighting prime. I, somebody asked me the day of my birthday. They're like, wow, you're 38? Like, how do you feel? I'm like, every fucking day of it. <laughs> like, everything. This isn't This isn't right. Everything's hurting and broken. But I really want to get into the topic of the physical aspects of kind of aging. And basically, uh, you've talked a lot. You say old wolf. And, and it's important that people know that because it's recognizing the truths in at your athleticism as you as a person, as you as a coach. So as you age, what measure are you taking to prevent the in inevitability of aging? Mm. What are some daily tasks? What are some, what, what's, I don't want to get too far into training because I feel like we can see that on your page, but what are you doing to kind of pace the aging? <laughs> He's drinking this bottle of whiskey. <laughs> um, or is it? Yeah, right? So, good question. Let me let me first start off by saying that aging is relative. And I don't mean that meme like, oh, it's all in your head. No, it's a true fact. Some of us will age younger and faster um, and more damaged. Um, so, when I say aging, I have various ages. I have my athletic age. I have my manhood age. I have my age as a son. I have my age as a brother, as a leader, as a boyfriend, as a friend. These are different ages that I'm consistently experiencing in my life, and I'm maturing and being immature in some of them, either all simultaneously or they're growing at different paces, like the knob of a soundboard. They're all kind of moving at a different rate. Um, I'd like to think that as a, as my as my as a person that at 35 I'm much older and older soul. I've always felt that way i've always been said that um so in that age i'm very old um i like to say that and i've been told that that's the only reason why i say that you know and other as a leader i have a lot of age a lot of years to grow um very young in that as uh in certain sports and strongman i'm old and powerlifting a little bit older in highland games i'm a baby yeah. I'm, I'm still confused and i'm getting excited about a five-foot pr which is a that's not gonna happen when i'm really good <laughs> yeah um and let's be, I wanted to be very clear on that. And when it comes to that, it's important that everyone identifies these things within themselves. 
Look at your life and look at your different ages, your various roles and tasks and masks and uniforms that you wear and where you are in your life in those things. And that should bring you some relative calm. There's different parts of aging. There's different rates and there's different deaths. Some of your parts are dead. Some of your versions will never grow old because they're gone. And some will be reborn and some will be born in the first place. And this is not... This is a psychological perspective. I'm not giving you some weird, you know, crazy meme or chakra stuff. This is reality. And you will get new tasks as a boyfriend or a wife or an aunt or a father. You, If you're a first-year father, you're going to talk to your or grandfather and be like, you're a punk. <laughs> you're a punk, you know? You're a baby father, basically. Yeah. So when I come to realize as an aging athlete, um, I have to identify those things first because that brings me calm. Now, when I talk to you, some of you guys that are looking at me at 22, like, oh, that's old. I'm like, but you're starting to lift at 22. So at, tw- at 30, you're going to be much older than some of your peers physically. Mm. You're going to feel knee pain. You're going to feel arthritis very quickly. You're going to have torn muscles and sinew. So it's important to identify that and to be ready for it mentally, but that you're also young in other aspects and you've also created new roles for yourself, coaching, leadership and it's important but if i was going to be very truthful and i just stick to the athletic version yeah man my <laughs> body is 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 i've been through a lot i've been through i never p- picked an easy sport i've never picked an easy path mm. i also don't and i train hard and i train with a purpose and i didn't always have a tangible coach slowing me down especially after fighting so i would just train myself you know stupid um, and I, what I do now to prepare for that is mostly mental and obviously physical rehab is saying and getting comfortable with the fact that everything is becoming much harder nowadays. PRs are harder and distant. You know, having a certain numbers becomes almost irrelevant sometimes. Yeah, I do have goals, just like everyone else. But it really is falling in love with the process, which I would say is a high sign of maturity that you can experience at an athlete at 23 who... Look, a 24-year-old a football player is probably very mature mentally, but he's a fucking punk kid. <laughs> a 24-year-old professional NFL player yeah. probably has more mileage on his body than you and me combined Facts. and can probably teach us a lesson of how to deal with hardships physically, but he's a fucking punk kid. So look at the various in ages. Look at the variability in ages there. Yeah, sure. So it, it comes to understanding that and getting ready mentally that, hey, man, things are going to break down. And things are going to go slow and things are going to vary and things are going to be hard and numbers are important, but not the, not the say all be all. And that, yeah, you have to have savagery, but also intelligence and wisdom. There's humility gained, but there has to be courage found in hardships and fucking letting loose and letting that animal break something in half sometimes. Right. Yeah. And it's that balance. And I find myself doing more mental stuff because to get in the gym and do hip rehab, at 35, when you've deadlifted 700, pulled a fire truck and loaded a 420 stone and squat 135, takes a mental will. <laughs> it's not physical. I own the fucking gym. I'm there. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's just like everybody else. I'm really glad that you went into that because obviously physical challenges are what they are. But let's talk about some of the mental battles of aging. And one of the questions is, you know, and obviously earlier you said that some of your friends, some of your family, I don't want to say betray you in a way, 
but they'll ask you why. Mm-hmm. And why is it important to com- continue to compete, especially because, like, if you, if you look at you yourself, sure, you've never been to the mountaintop, right? But you've established yourself in this in this game amongst your peers. It's like the battle axe people know that shit. <laughs> right? That's a that's a huge goal. There's a thousand gyms around here, right? right. But when you hear the battle axe, you're like, yeah, I know the battle axe. <laughs> right? Up. Yeah. So why continue to compete as you get older? Your your body is telling you, eh. Right. I um that's funny you say that. And I think that that question is universal. I think a lot of us as athletes in strength sports or, you know, damaging sports get asked a lot, especially younger people, your parents, your friends. And then there's a certain time when no one asks you. And then again, when you're more beat up and you're, you're, you're getting beat up because you're doing a hard sport. And you get that asked that question, why are you doing this? You're going to stop. And you're like, no. And they're like, ugh, that's so dumb or whatever. You, you, and people do it sometimes without even noticing. And I think we can say that that is universal amongst ages. And I get that question a lot, too, from my lifters. Or they'll say it like, oh, my mom thinks I'm doing this because I'm dumb. And it's the question within a statement. And I'm like, hmm, I get that. And I'll tell you what I say to that. I had that when I was fighting. Yeah, and I still get it to this day. A lot of by my peers, like you said. Um, I had a dream this recently. It's a very emotional dream. My grandmother passed away like I'm gonna say nine years ago now, maybe ten. And I saw her in this dream, and it was so vivid and so perfect. I haven't seen my grandmother. Just I haven't seen her, but in this dream, it was so perfect. It was lucid. I can tell you the shirt that she was wearing. It was a gown because my grandmother is OG. She's one of those big old gowns. <laughs> Yeah. And her face and her and her movement and her voice was so real to me that I woke up. It was emotional. I woke up emotional, and I told my parents this today. And I was I was I felt it. I felt it in my bones. And when you want something and you miss something and you desire something, it's like waking up from one of those dreams. You can't take that away from a person. When you love someone or something, you just can't take it away. It's there forever. In dreams and in, uh, in daydreams and in, in wishing and your goals and your aspirations and your personality and your laugh and your anger, it is now embedded within you because you've wanted something so bad that it is a part of you, like a loved one, like your dog, man. It's... It's a love that goes beyond years and it goes beyond time and it goes into somewhere deep within our consciousness that is probably not easily described. And it's funny you asked me that question because I just had that dream a few days ago. And man, you, you, you wake up shaken and you think, I was so happy to have seen her because she is a part of me forever. Mm. And like when you love something, you love it truly. And I love sport. I fucking love it. It is. It has bred me into a man. It has bred me into a coward. And it has bred me into a bad person and a good person and a leader and a brother and a great fucking uncle sometimes and a, and a position of a good son and a coach. 
uh, 35 years or 35 years fighting for this position and sport put me here and the challenge and the beauty of something that is within me like that dream and when people truly love something you cannot be shook by the outside you just you just can't you you can't it's a it's a dream it's a part of you and when you really love something and it, it it's you can put sport but under that is what challenge purpose hardship struggle sacrifice those things in the umbrella of sport is that dream it is that thing you wake up feeling in your bones you get oh you gotta get goosebumps talking about it you can't take that away from me right i'll die and when people ask me that question i don't have to say it i look at them the way i'm looking at you right now and go because i love it and that's the end of the conversation yeah. they can say whatever they want after it's irrelevant i'll buy them a beer and we'll laugh and they'll tease me about my broken bones but it doesn't shake me because i wake up with that dream in my bones it's going to be the way it's going to be until my body just ceases to work or, you know, trick myself retarded one day or whatever. But <laughs> I think all of us, if you really dig deep and you feel what I feel, or maybe I feel what you feel, you need to show it. You don't need to say it. People can feel your energy. They can feel the look in your eyes. We're animals first. And that's how I feel when I get asked that question. I just don't bend. It's just, yeah. this is what I love to do. I've always thought to myself that people who would ask that question never really loved anything purely. No. I mean, a thing, you know? Yeah. And you're right. And many times that place, that voice, and you'll see it all the time. You'll see it on, you know, Instagram and Facebook, all oh, people that are hating on your dreams is because they never lived their life. And yeah. that's great. So show them. Show them what love is. Show them what passion is. Show them. And a hundred of them, one will show up and be like, what you did changed my life. And I go, I didn't do anything. You're like, yeah, you did. That's, we can't just sit there and be like, fuck them. No, no, no. No, because we were there once. Believe it or not, maybe Maybe you, me, no, I don't know. You got to show them. You got to show them that, hey, man, this is you today, but it doesn't have to be you tomorrow. And this isn't some hippie bullshit. You show them that you get up every fucking day just like them with the same fucking doubts and fears, but you fucking want something. You want something. And it in that inspiration and in sport inspires you to do everything else in life. And that that fucking broken bone is worth more than a thousand fucking seats on a couch. And that's what they need to feel. Wow. And, and, and they need to feel it. And it's, they need to see it. They need to see what it looks like on an individual. You can't tell somebody what to do. Yeah. It's, human beings are very rough. But you can show them. And actions will always speak louder than words. And eyes will always fucking tell a novel. Yeah. You don't have to open your fucking mouth if you see somebody's eyes. And yeah, man, you know what? Maybe they've never loved, but they can. And they yeah. will. And it's our job to fucking do that <laughs> as human beings, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Passion. Fuck. You know? Let me ask you this. So as a as an athlete, you've continued to press on, even in some instances where you've had enough injuries, where if you said, I'm retiring today, a lot of people would say, 
Get it, man. Yeah. You've you've earned it. At this point, you've earned your jersey hung, right? Uh, but as you. a coach. <laughs> sounds, thank you. Right? It's true, though. Appreciate that. As a coach now, because you haven't as an athlete, do you think that you would be able to tell an older athlete, like, hey, man, it's your time? I don't think I can ask someone something that I can't do myself. I don't think I can ask them something that I feel I cannot do myself. Someone would have to literally either put me down or it would be one of those man-to-man talks where somebody very close to me is like, Mike, you need to physically stop doing this. And I would, I would, I would have to feel it, you know, almost like an intervention. Um, I can't. Um, it's just the way, as a coach, I advise a lot of my lifters not to particularly lead certain lives that I have lived. Sure. Not because I think I'm cool and not because I think it's great to brag about battle scars and then neglect these children and these kids and these grown-ass men and women, their path and their particular, what I call, bar talk. Most people can't take that life, and I'm not patting myself on the back. It's not fun. Um, but no, I don't think I could ever tell another person to stop unless I truly feel that I'll know I'll be able to do it myself. I can't. I just, I'll see somebody run them, obviously, within medical reasons. You know, if they're a boxer and they have brain damage, and you're like, yo, dude, like, but within real realistic reasons, I think there's always a way to keep competing in something. There's always something to do that makes you, uh, that within the realms of sport, I'm obviously in life as well, um, you know, your knee hurts. Okay, man, then do bench press only. You can't bench. Okay, then try to get a six-pack or try to get big or try to go to, you know, another sport or yeah. go to walk a marathon. You know, there's something that gets you up in the morning to do something physical and cathartic is the human fucking therapy. I have 100% of intention of turning shuffleboard into a physical sport. Yes. Push-ups for every fucking time you fuck up or something. Fuck you, Bernard. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm going to do it. We do deadlifts and then shuffle. But he's fucking... I would totally get competitive shuffleboard, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's funny you say that jokingly, but competition is life. Yeah. It just is. It is human nature. And people are like, oh, I'm not competitive. I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> I just haven't found what makes you competitive yet. Yeah. I know it. It's and my best friend, Giancarlo, he's one of the best friends in, my, in the world. And he's like, I'm not competitive. Put the motherfucker in a Street Fighter arcade game, he will get fucking pissed. <laughs> I'm I like, mean, so you are competitive, I mean, even though I'll probably beat him. If you're trying to, if you're trying to use cheater guile. Ugh. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Down back the whole time? Fuck. You're going to come at me, bro? Well, you're going to flash kick me, bro? Yeah, because the old job guy. <laughs> Fuck out of here, dude. We're going to use Cheater Blanca. He's fucking... Get out of here. Don't come at me with that Street Fighter talk. I just beat somebody's ass over an Arnold. Brasil, Brasil. Yeah. Fucking... (laughs) Straight ghetto. Oh, God. Sorry, man. Sometimes we just... Ah, man. We could do a whole podcast on Street Fighter. (laughs) Like, everybody challenging me. There's some good guys out there. I feel like once Akuma came out and I was like, wow, I can relate to that guy. I'm like, something's wrong with me. So, yeah. What is going on? Like that guy's po- so dark. His posters on my whole life. <laughs> oh, man. So with aging comes a lot of mental challenges. What do you think is the most defining mental challenge for you aging as an athlete 
and 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 you as a coach. You know, I funny. I just thought about this too. I'm in your mind. Yeah. Um, sometimes I wonder if I'll just get tired of being tired, and it's it it scares my hand. My hands are sweating. It scares the shit out of me. If one day I'm just gonna wake up and tired and be tired of being tired. Um, you know, a lot of us deal with a lot of shit, and I'm not putting myself above others or below anyone. But one day, I just wonder if I'm just going to be tired of being tired and hurt and why can't things come a little bit easier and why why are things, like, why couldn't I go back and make better choices when I was younger, physically, mentally, fucking abuse of things. Sometimes I wonder if I'll run out of gas, you know, if this whole persona this whole podcast and forward and more weight. I fear that one day I'm just going to quit. It's a very real fear of mine. Um, all this bullshit, <laughs> you know, it'll be bullshit if I quit. Hmm. Um, and in that struggle and in that, that fight, I have to find clarity. And that's my hardest thing as an athlete, as a coach, if one day I'm just going to be tired of people's bullshit and putting so much in for not as much out, if I'll get petty and think about expecting things back, will I ever be that person? And I fear being that coach that just does it for the money and does it for because I expect something back and that athlete that is broken apart and is just negative and I used to do this and I used to do that and those are very real fears for me uh, in life. But I just, I have so much on my plate, like a lot of us. Yeah. And I'm spread thin and I'm wondering, like, am I going to spread myself so thin that I just quit? And that's a very real fear for me. And it keeps me in line. Because like I've said it before, fear is a powerful motivator. And it I don't give a fuck what the current trend is about discipline over motivation. They're both tools. And motivation is very powerful to me. And staying one step ahead of of that reaper, of that death whispering in your ear like, hey, motherfucker, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're just going to quit. And I'm like, oh, you might be right, bitch, but we'll see tomorrow. And I'll be waiting. And I'll be fucking waiting. And that, 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 conversation that internal dialogue if you will because i love that terminology i love internal dialogue it's like 80 percent of my day is internal dialogue you know and that's very real for me as an athlete as a coach and that's what is a very real thing for all of us that begin to age quote unquote in their sport because five years in powerlifting is five years in powerlifting where you started at 45 or 22 it's just different yeah you know and and it's hard to when you're three years in like should I try a new sport? Am I a quitter? Am I a pussy? You know, and you, you, you get that, that, those, those inner dialogues. That's yeah. that voice. That's that, that's that, that death of that lifter. You whispering in your ear and the same thing as a coach. Sometimes you wake up and I'm like, do I really have to put up with this bullshit? Do I really have to coach this person who fucked me over? Wow. Do I really have to accept them back? Do I really have to deal with myself being a dickhead because sometimes I'm wrong and I'm like, fuck you. 
Yeah. Like, do I have, I have to, because I have to go home and deal with myself. Like, Jesus, Mike, you're a piece <laughs> of shit. You know, it's not like I go home and I'm like, I'm awesome. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why am I like this? And I don't mean that funny. Like, fuck. I could have just handled that 10 times better. We all make mistakes. Yeah. And that's a very real thing for me. And I'll tell you, and I'll be straightforward. It's that that forest fire, that climb, that uh, appreciation of, of staying one step ahead that I think will never run out. And I hope, and I say this openly, that that is what keeps me going. Yeah. And I know it's never going to run out. That fear that... That little nipping fear on the back of me is such a powerful motivator. You know, it's like one foot off the cliff. You, you know what happens when you fall off the cliff, right? <laughs> it's it's fear. Yeah. You know, and you what do you do? You stay one step away from that cliff. Knowing that, you know, one day you feel like jumping because fuck it. You know, I, I laugh. I talk to my cousin about it. It's actually a, a human endeavor. When you're in a car going on the highway, you ever just think about jumping out? Yeah. You know, that's a real thing. Human beings experience that. It's this kind of like morbid part of your brain that just goes, what if I just jump out? Mine has always been like, oh, what if I take this curve? Mm -hmm. And I just, it says 35, I'm going to take it at 90, see what happens. It's real. And for some of us, it's our nature. It is our dark nature. And that little, that little push, that little cusp of staying there, that little give and ebb and flow is what motivates me as an athlete. The waking up as... As as a thirty five year old lifter that's <laughs> inside eighty seven with the knee and the and the elbow and I can't bench three fifteen without paying for it. Oh, and three fifteen's no offense. It's not it's not a big deal. I mean it's a big deal. Yeah, it's, it's huge. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> yeah, it's like the massive. It's like a, but I'll press it and I'm like, I just paid for that. You know, and that's yeah. that's what it feels like. How and much am I taking out of my bank on this? Yeah. It always was onto that bank account, Damn. man. And uh, me staying in that conversation of with myself saying yeah, man, but you're you're not there. You know, you're one step ahead of you, motherfucker, like that. I don't think that'll die. I don't. I don't hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, because then then yeah, we're all gone. Then no more podcasts. So. <laughs> we go. Oh man, God, why is everything so heavy? <sighs> it's a heavy one, dude. Mm. We should just call this episode the he- <laughs> the heavy, bro. Whoa. Yeah. It also sounds like a Netflix series. Also, absolutely right. Or it could just be us both being two sixty. <laughs> it's coming. Just fucking it's breathing fucking into coming. them like. A um. So, you actually asked it a little bit on the on the Duffin podcast, but we're talking about relevancy. And the pursuit of relevancy can be challenging. Why is staying relevant important to you? First of all, I'd like to say that um, staying relevant is very important for me, first and foremost. I think that staying relevant comes from a perspective of being appreciated, being loved and liked, being respected. I think those are human, uh, very human traits. Most people won't tell you that. Most people give you this bullshit story like, I don't want to stay relevant, I'm just doing this from the good, no. No, people want to stay relevant, just like people love glory, only people love power. Of violence, it's in there. It's just people don't like to admit it because they're, they're cowards. Um, it's like turning your back on battle, right? The back of your head. When you say things like that to me, it's like you're talking to me through the back of your head. Like you're you're lying to me. You know, you're not telling me the whole truth. And sometimes you have to lie a little bit, but be real. 
staying relevant to me relevant to me is very important because making a difference is my purpose in life. It is what I live for. I have said it openly that it was if it wasn't for the battle axe gym and certain positions in my life, I would be I would kill myself. Straight up. And I, I I've said it I've said it openly before in articles and I've said it in a podcast. When you say coming to a crossroad when you're a man like me, it means that you've thought about putting something between your fucking forehead. It's just the way it is. Making a difference is purpose. And it can be one person or a million. I live for that. And staying relevant allows me to continue to make a difference. And being relevant is perspective. I could be relevant to one person. That might be just enough for me to keep going. And it, it is. And it's something that I've, I've, I've earned. I've made. I made a leadership position. I didn't buy a dog and the dog loves me. Then I'll have, no, I bought the fucking dog. <laughs> I didn't create it. But, you know, I have this gym and, and as, uh, in my relationships. As a son, as a boyfriend, as a brother, as an uncle. You know, I have to I have to stay relevant because I can make a difference and I need to keep that going in my mind. And as a coach, when you see that look in their eyes, that appreciation that you've added strength to not only their bodies, but their minds, that's forever. And that's purpose. Yeah. And that's uh, excuse me, fucking uh, fucking whiskey got me. But it's purpose, man. And I need that. I need it. I need it like, like a moth to flame. I need it. I need it. I don't think I can live without it. And I say that, frankly. Yeah. Do you think the channel or, or the change was when? Because I, God, we always do this. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> We've all been, especially you and I, have been in shoes where it's easy to stop walking the path we're on. Mm. That's the easy path. We choose to not do that for whatever reason. Whatever external motivator we have, we all have different ones. Relevancy or being relevant, do you think that changed your mindset? Because I feel like a lot of times when you feel like you want to end things, it's because you feel like an inconvenience or a problem for others. Mm. Do you think that's why the gear shifted for you for relevancy so hard is because you needed to distance yourself from feeling like you're letting others down? I think that a natural fear. Um, you know, it's funny you say that. When people say that they're letting others down, I think the highest feeling of letting others down is when you quit. And my biggest Fear is quitting. That is, again, the purpose, the fear, the whispering in my ear. The biggest thing that I could do to every single person around me is quit. And I put myself in that position. I just spoke about it to Megan. I sat with her. I was talking something, venting, tired, worn thin. Not negative, just tired. It's like 930, I remember it just came out. I said, I put myself in these positions so that I can't quit. 
because the highest letdown you can have for your family, your friends, your athletes, as a coach, as a lifter, is to quit. Not to die trying, but to quit. And I know what it feels like for people to quit on you. It sucks, and it's a, a very personal thing, and it's a terrible thing when people quit on you. I mean, really quit. Yeah. <laughs> like, clock out. And to me, that is the highest letdown I can ever give anyone. And I refuse to do that because I put myself in a position as a coach. Some people call me mentor or leader or like a quote-unquote big brother. Um, you know, I put myself there so that I can't quit because that is the highest letdown. That is the highest burden you can leave anyone. That is the highest pain. That is the biggest le like disappointment. That is the biggest heartbreak. If you really want to inconvenience somebody, quit on them. Especially if they care about you. There is no bigger letdown. There is no bigger inconvenience. So I place myself in these situations where I have to rise. And I kind of have to stay around. If you're not creating these opportunities, if you're not putting yourself in these scenarios, you will waste away. You will let people down because you're quitting at things. Place yourself in scenarios where you have to rise. I never thought I'd be a fucking coach growing up. Never in my life. Never. Never until I was maybe mid-20s after fighting. I'm like, I'll coach Muay Thai, but not like this level. Yeah. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep generating positions like this. I'm going to do charity fundraisers. I'm going to run events that have to keep going. Yeah. I'm going to be more involved with my nieces and nephews so that I have to show up. I'm going to tell them I'm going to be there next Sunday because I fucking have to be there next Sunday. And you generate these responsibilities because responsibility makes warriors. That is the ultimate thing. Self-made responsibilities creates warriors warriors you put yourself in a scenario where you have to battle until you die you want the warrior code that's it you put yourself in these scenarios you have to rise that's the difference between people who are trying to fake it and people who are really walking and talking yeah. is they generated these positions that is when you really start to fucking come out of this shit and it's the only way and when you're feeling like you're starting to get that inconvenience and you're feeling yourself slipping and sliding, you got two choices. Just fucking quit and be that person that fucking damages everybody or create a scenario where you have to fucking get up in the morning and rise. You have to create it because then you have that, that stress, that anxiety, that, that, that push like, dude, you got to go. But it feels better when you created it. At least you can control that. Yeah. And that's, that's what the biggest thing with me is that little those little things every month or week you know it doesn't come up every fucking day but those things are big to me yeah, yeah off topic rise shirts will be on sale at miami's baddest and the yes, gold they will. Black. <laughs> black and gold <laughs> five dollars so. for every shirt goes to uh fam which is yeah. a fucking charity choice so cool um yeah you know again doing the things the the charity events for you especially over the past couple of years has been so huge because it's very easy to take the money you make from your event and go, this is mine. I've earned this. This is my event. The money is mine. 
to be able to think of other people in the moment when you're most profitable, I believe is a skill set. It's an acquired skill. It's something that you learn. And it takes it takes being in a position where you can make that choice to be able to go through that. So I definitely want to get into our plans for Miami's Madness with obviously the virus and yeah, yeah. you know raccoon raccoon started this I'm pretty sure raccoon. umbrella corporation? raccoon city yeah, you're raccoon doing this city. again barry where's barry what a <laughs> fucking great line are we right? gonna have to go through a mansion and puzzles to solve the cure because i'm down don't even fucking uh, tempt I, me. I, I will fucking i will fucking be in there <sighs> with limited bullets obviously yeah no you know what fuck that bro for those of you who get that reference message me for those of you who don't yourself <laughs> piss me off <laughs> god Ugh. all right so i'm sorry no it's Everything. good because we, we started do. this with a nerdy thing and we're gonna keep fucking running with that now i want to play this goddamn game with the aiming was all fucking terrible oh my god do you remember how they like did like the weird yeah they did a weird the run i'm like who runs like this, <laughs> this why are you so loud it was like <laughs> i'm like dude Wear some slippers, guy. Jill, you, know? you have no athletic ability <laughs> at all. <laughs> Fuck off. Leon Kennedy, you can jump over this fucking thing, you idiot. <laughs> like, why am I stuck behind a barrel, guy? You're 6'2". <laughs> fucking hell. <coughs> Piss me uh, off, man. Wow, man. This is what we... These are gems, dude. People don't no, get it. This is a fucking gem. They get it. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> So we've transferred into a new sport. You've been uh, competing in the Highland Games. Yes, I'm a Highlander now. What? Oh. Here we are. Oh, can only be one. Okay, sorry. Of the Do you think universe. everybody sings that song to them? I sing it all the time when I'm there. Every, I, yeah. I make constant Highlander references. Do you think and everybody gets it? Yeah, everyone at the Highland Games gets it. God damn it. The ones yes. who are over 30, obviously. Yeah, the young people don't get it. No, idiot. Idiots. That's what you get for being young. Yeah, not like dealing with responsibility. <laughs> You've never paid a bill. Yeah, life hasn't killed you yet. So what made you want to transition over to the Highland Games? Like, how'd that come about? So I've always wanted to do the Highland Games, actually. True story. I think most people that do Strongman... You just wanted to wear a kilt? It, oh, I have been wearing a kilt for years. <laughs> Called Ren Fest, baby. Just casually. Yeah, I, just, I have a sports kilt for funsies. This is my evening wear. <laughs> <laughs> So I've always, I think a lot of strongmen have an affiliation with Highland. We know what it is. We've watched as strength sports, you know, as like strongman and Highland Games, which is one of the oldest strength sports in the world, um, period. Maybe the second oldest sport, actually. Um, I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. But typically it's the beginning of the year, and, and that was when I'd be getting ready for like a Platinum Plus or something. There's always a strongman competition in April, so I decided I couldn't do both. Then I was hurt for two years. And this year after Florida's, um, which was a very heavy show, I was just kind of wrecked. Like, I'm just beat up. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something athletic while I kind of heal up and focus on other aspects of my training. So I contacted my buddy Bill, who's been doing it for 20 years, who's still way better than me because uh, it's a skill set. And uh, a couple other lifters, I'm like, let's just do it. So I trained three weeks, <laughs> and I went to... Orlando and took second in the B class. So there's different classes. There's novice, C, B, A, and pro. So I just skipped novice and C because I think I'm strong enough and athletic enough. I'm not going to start at novice. I'm, not, I'm like, I I'm, think I'm good enough to start um, at, at B class. And I just really got into it because I wanted to try to suck at something again. Mm. And this romantic feeling of being unknown 
and no one in the crowd knowing me and not everyone wearing black and yellow um, no expectations uh feeling new and a new kid in school and like i wrote in my article uh you know you'll uh, better luck next time you'll be fine you'll get better i'm like i haven't heard that in a while you know and i love that i live for that again it's why we got into sport in the first place that challenge that uh, being uncomfortable or being comfortable with being uncomfortable and it really is a difficult sport and you know it has that kind of uh aura where it's like fun and it's silly i go it is but it's not and once you start throwing those things you want to be good at shit yeah it's hard and it's hard to be good and when it comes to most sports that's that's the key it's hard to be great you know and man i fucking i love not being good at something i'm i'm I am I'm tedious and I'm tenacious and I, I nip at the heels of sucking at something and I, I I now am sitting watching consistent YouTubes on the on the glide and the shot put because I suck at the sh- at the throwing the open weight and I have things to research and a new culture to develop and a new stepping stone for my clan like a new area of sport where the battle axe gym will come out there and you'll know us and yeah. it's romantic and it's inspiring and it's purposeful and and it I can still train and man, I need that shit, you know, and uh, I decided to do it, and fuck, I felt like a teenager, and I felt like how my athletes must feel like when they come up to me, and they're like, I want to do strongman, I'm like, well, you're an idiot, (laughs) but I'm like, here you go, you know, and um, I miss that, man, I miss that, I miss not being good, I miss getting cues from my peers, I miss laughing, and it's not that I don't laugh in strongman, it's just a different culture for me, and I miss, you know, I miss training and I researching and where my foot goes and where my hand goes and what gloves to get and where do I get this weight and having to travel and go to this park to throw and wake up. I miss it. Yeah. And it, it brought all that back for me. Just like when I first started strongman, just like when I got into powerlifting, when I first started playing rugby, when I first put on my first pair of fucking mitts and I started throwing fucking knuckles, like I missed that feeling. Um, I mean, nothing will be like fighting, but surely that 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 area around it is fulfilled, and I, I love it. Yeah. I fell in love with it, man. Yeah, something like feeling like a kid again. Oh fuck yeah, man! What do you think has been the most challenging of of the Highland sport? The technical aspect of it, and yeah, it doesn't look as technical as you would think until you pick up one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I picked it up pretty quick. I'm an athlete. But that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. like a glass ceiling. You know, you're like, oh, I can throw it. Okay. But like, now you really got to throw it. Yeah. Can you throw it well? Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I got it. 50 feet. They're like, yeah, but these guys are throwing it 70. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. fuck. You know, like all 70 or can I do a 50 and a 20? Yeah. Can I put two of these together? <laughs> and uh, that's been the hardest part, man. And, and and by hard, I mean, you know, is getting used to it. There's nine, nine events typically, unless you're in uh, Europe, it's typically eight. Each has its own technique, its own equipment, its own demands, its own, like, cues. Just, I mean, just like strongman, there's a fundamental things that you train in each movement. As far as training it at it for the gym, like in the gym aspect, I'm good. I can do that. I can coach myself on how to be a better Highland guy in the gym. But the actual practice of it, like, I work now with Mike Beach, who owns uh, Throw Bros., He's coaching my videos weekly. I reach out to some of my, my buddies online. 
Uh, Jarvino's one. Bill's another. Um, these are people that can throw, and they're technical, and they're good. Yeah. And I sit there, and I soak it up um, because the technical demands of it, the mastery of it, it's hard. It's really <laughs> hard, you know, yeah. and I didn't throw. I didn't play. I, I wish I would have. I knew shot put or discus or anything like that. So I have no experience in this. I mean, I fought. So I have decent hip control. Yeah. But it's a different monster, man. It's like, sure. you know, saying, oh, because you can, you know, you can fight. You can obviously like throw javelin. I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> it's not the same shit, guy. You'll probably be better for it. Um, But you can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball. Dodge a ball. Dip, dodge, duck, dodge. Something dodge again? I don't know. There's a lot of dodges. There's dodges. dodges in there like six times. <laughs> it's so true. It's so critical. It's so true. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because obviously a lot of people think strongman isn't very technical, but I would I would argue that strongman is one of the most technical sports and also one of the most strategic. Yeah. So how have you taken those? Because that w- I would say that's your home. Yeah. That's your that's your bread and butter. Yeah. How have you carried that into the Highland game? Question. I would say body mastery and muscle mastery is the ultimate goal of any athlete. To have that willingness to know when you're off or when things are on or what is lacking. I think the more experienced athlete, the more um, intuitive athlete will always know that. And that's the difference between a two-year athlete and a 20-year athlete. And I mean athlete like in any sport. Yeah, You know when your hip didn't wasn't involved, or why you're not using your shoulder. You feel when reps are off. That's very important. I think strongman is a great teacher for that because we use so much of our bodies. Um, and having that knowledge base, I'm, I mostly attribute it to martial arts, but going into strongman, a lot of those movements demand such extreme, somewhat no, not somewhat violent movements. That it translates heavy to, to throwing because you have to have a technical base. You have to be very, very strong. But those moments of explosion and violence have to be full tilt. Mm-hmm. At full concentration at 100%. Which translates so well from strongman. Because a lot of those movements you have to go. When you clean a heavy log, you got to go. You can't just pussyfoot it, then you get crushed. Yeah. And it's the same thing with certain throws and certain movements. And then other movements like the caber, no. That's very, it's almost like 90% technical. There is no, so like, nasty. going crazy, you yeah. know. Um, even the throwing, you know. Obviously, the weight over bar is one of our favorite movements when you throw. A, for men, it's 56 pounds, and you throw it above a weight over your head, like a one-arm throw or sandbag throw. Um, that's great for me because that's right up my alley. It's like one, two, dip, power, boom, 100%. Yeah. Less, there's skill, but less skill than some other things. Um, so coming from strongman, like that's been a great transition in the sense of understanding where I lack and being intuitive and having that killer instinct and that that prey drive or you gotta fucking get after it. I mean, again, like I always say I learned it more in the ring, but I'll yeah. still say to strongman, that drive to, to go, those the, that explosivity that you feel on kind of deadlift, yeah, um, is very much a fundamental part of the sport. But it can't be the GPS. It can't be the steering wheel because if you throw with strength and savagery, you will fuck yourself. Up. <laughs> like you, I am typically like, I can be one of the stronger guys there. It doesn't matter. Like yeah. I'm getting fucking worked. My God, because it's technical. Yeah, it takes, it takes what? It takes practice. Damn, like a lot of practice. What a great episode that was. <laughs> yes, 
practice. Ugh, Google it. Take no, actually, that. I, I, uh, was it? I touch tunes it or something. I mean, you should listen to it. It's, I'm gonna. It's pretty good. What's your favorite part in the Highland Games? Oof. That's a good man. You know what? I feel a lot like it feels like strongman felt eight years ago. Okay. Smaller, more niche. A lot of people going above and beyond to make the sport grow, to survive. A lot of people who are emotionally invested in it, who love it, who know the history of it, who know the history of the athletes, who know who was when. The OGs are still around. I love that culture of it still. Um, I'm not saying strongman is not that, but it's certainly changed. It really has. It's much, much more popular. And I could imagine guys that did it 15, 20 years ago, you know? Yeah. But at least I was fortunate enough to come into the sport right on that cusp where it was still, we were still scrambling for equipment. There was nobody making equipment. You know, you had to go here and there. Yeah. That's how it feels like, you know, this guy makes this bell and you got to go to this guy to get the fork and this guy might do a class and. You know, he's been doing it for 30 years, and this guy travels 10, mo- 10 hours just to, to referee for free, and it has that, that, that romance to it. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've, quickly been, I've quickly fallen in love with that. Obviously, the, the bagpipes, the history, the kilts, you know, we're all nerdies like that, man, yeah. so that's very important. But a lot of the people that, especially the older crowd, they're very proud, very proud to be a Highland uh, athlete. Um, obviously, there's a cultural history, Scottish, you know. Yeah, sure. And being part of the UK, but they're very welcoming. Uh, it's just, it's that's my favorite aspect. Obviously, that would be tied with the amount of technical mastery it demands mm. and how obsessed I am and not sucking at something. And it it demands a lot of study and rep after rep after rep after rep. And it's like a, I, I've always been obsessed with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember being not good at the jab. And Wes would make me throw a thousand jabs a day. You know, a thousand of anything. Until I figured the fuck out. Yeah. And I was obsessed with completing a thousand. Obsessed. I could not not complete a thousand. Until my arm was like fucking disgusting. Cause it was, but I'm, I'm going to get it. And I was like, I'm going to master this fucking jab. And I was pretty good at it. Wow. The right round kick, I was obsessed. My right round kick was no bullshit. Beautiful. It's still beautiful. Because I've thrown a fucking million of them. Yeah. Just that one mastery thing, you know? Like, I, you know, it's I fear more the man that has done one move 10,000 times than a man that knows 10,000 moves. Right. That's, That's Bruce Lee, right? I, yep. Tao Jeet Kune Do. I fucking <laughs> I like that life. What, uh, Jeet Kune Do is a great book too. Yeah, it is. Tao is like, amazing. It's like, oh yeah, you know, you're in a knife fight, but that man with the knife is at a disadvantage. Yep. You're like, wait a what? minute, what? Yeah. Let me read this slow. Yeah, let me reread this. You get to break that man's face with your elbows, <laughs> fists, knees. Well, he's you can thinking, disarm him, and now he's done. He's only thinking of stabbing you, which pretty much everyone I've ever interacted with. Let's thought that about me. Mm. <laughs> I could stab this guy at a new moment, and I wouldn't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so God, it's good to get some little giggles out. I like the giggles. After I teared up in the beginning. Get the giggles. <laughs> so um, we could 
and you tell me where you want to go with this. We can get into some Miami's baddest questions, or do you want to jump on live and do the Miami's baddest questions on so live? That's a good question. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just talk a little bit about the event and what we're doing with it. Yeah. And then I'll do the live question going forward just because I kind of want to isolate a time for them. Yeah, sure. Um, but just to bring the importance of... So for those of you, when you hear this, obviously, <laughs> this coronavirus going on. If you've been if you've, living under a rock. Yeah, and we are still scheduled to compete. Um, I really am not going to cancel this show on any means. Um, I mean, if it's at the parking lot of the Battle Ox Gym. But the show is pretty important because of what revolves around the competition. Every year... We try to make this show a little bit bigger than what it's about. Mm. And this year, we've uh, joined up with FAM, which is Fighting All Monsters. The purpose of this charity is to help aid families who have children with serious illnesses. It can range from anything. Um, typically, cancer is one of the worst things kids can get because children are very resilient. And it hit home because our buddy Gabe who is a BV and a friend of mine for many, many years. Um, he's a CrossFitter, and he's also going to be competing. Yeah. His son was diagnosed with a brain cancerous brain tumor. Now, fam reached out to them and helped provide services and keep him happy and motivated and provide, like, living the dream for, for their son. So it was a no-brainer on picking this, and I feel a very special thing trying to raise funds for them because it hits home. And I don't think anything that's being put on for bigger reasons than ourselves should be canceled by any means. So it's very special for us this year. It's our fifth year. Um, uh, obviously, the, the attendance is going to be <laughs> a little bit lower than expected, which I'm perfectly fine with, honestly. Yeah. But the strongman community is a resilient community. And I'll say this at any podcast, at any time that... The blue-collar mentality and the hard-working grassroots culture that is Strongman are the same people that showed up for the Arnolds by any means necessary when they said the event was canceled. We were the biggest crowd in the biggest attendance of anyone there. Powerlifting, weightlifting, CrossFit. Strongman was huge. Despite it being a lot of athletes, we were there. Uh, and I love that. And I know that that'll transcend into Miami's baddest. And this is not a selling thing. I'm not trying to make you come over here to Miami because honestly, if it's just me judging 60 to 80 athletes, I'll do it. Um, but again, none of our judges have canceled. None of our attendants or helpers or or volunteers are canceling. It's it's part of the sport. So uh, just a big shout out to Miami's baddest, our fifth year. <laughs> starting with 28 and no sponsors and now being fully sponsored by Dadvocacy, which has been an incredible law firm, has completely fully sponsored, uh, biggest sponsored, wow. what we call the Platinum Sponsorship. I mean, I remember scrounging up dollar bills to hopefully get somebody to show up and give some money away, and it's it's been special. And I think that's fucking cool, man, going into, like, uh, going into Miami's baddest on that aspect of being, <laughs> being in the fifth year and being still relevant yeah it's pretty fucking cool to me man i'm glad that you mentioned that because now we're on year five of miami's baddest we're circling around to year two of the battle axe podcast Oof. and so i think it's safe to say that we've decided 
as a podcast that we want to do something special. So we're not sure exactly what we're going to do, but there will be a special gift for those competitors on behalf of the Battle X podcast because the support from you guys has <clears throat> not only given us a motivator to come and do what we do, but it's also kept us from falling down the well, which we're both always kind of looking <laughs> Super down. Super guilty. <laughs> and so it, in that, we want to do something special for you guys. So we plan to, we're going to put something together. By the time probably the next you hear about Miami's Baddest, we'll be able to say what we're going to do. And I think you'll be very happy. And I think that by you showing up, you have earned this gift from us yeah. as you has gifted us with something that we look forward to every week. You're, I mean, that's something, that, you know, the fact that we can even say that we're sponsoring something because we matter is, is fucking awesome, man. <laughs> who who would have thought? I think I, I, the best part about this show still happening is the fact that we talk about fear so often. And it really is uh, a community standing against fear because it's very easy to fall back and go, Look, man, I'm scared. Uh, I'm worried about this getting to me, this virus or this issue. And that's such a, And you know what? The reason why it's easy is because if you said to anyone amongst any crowd, like, I'm scared I'm going to get sick. Everyone would be like, oh, man, I get it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because it's it always boils down to that, that fear concept. Yeah. And I think it's important to perceive fear in the way it should be f perceived mm. um, <laughs> granted I was just talking about how I after so many years I actually legitimately fear picking up an atlas stone which oh. was my fucking bread and butter that's right I was amazing not almost Jesus sorry it's the whiskey talking I was really <laughs> fucking good at lifting <laughs> stones um, and fearless and good at it and rep scheme and and getting shit done and and, and attacking it um, and that kind of makes me kind of grumpy having to fucking feel that fear so many years later. Yeah. But how am I supposed to, like, I remember we just had this conversation beforehand. With Duffin. Yeah. And I'm facing that. Like, <laughs> that guy's had more geez. muscles ripped off the bone than anyone I've ever met in my life. You know what? <laughs> you know what? I, and when he said that stuff, I'm like, well, my fucking shit, like. Like, I feel kind of like a big bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it, it's just, here's my perspective, because I know you tackle this too. Yeah. Like, what are one of your, because I'm going to, I'm going to wrote it back, because I'm scared of the fucking, <laughs> I know you have this. Yeah. What is one of your fears right now? My year right now, my goal is to do a 300 pound stone. That's my fear. That's my fucking motivator. What about in your case? Because I know you fucking got it in your belly. I need you to tell me real quick. Like, what is yours? Wow. So I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I've been going through some things in terms of fear and age that has been very challenging. And a big part of it has been, I've been injured so many times. I've had so many injuries to, uh, to give you a breakdown. It's been left knee, right knee, left knee, right hip, left ankle, right shoulder. Those were all years in a row. And those were all instances where the injuries were severe enough that I would very easily hang it up and lower body injuries are probably 
the scariest injury for me. And recently, I've experienced uh, some knee pain and knee that I had surgery on. So I guess to answer your question, my biggest fear is is re-injuring that. To have to relive that surgery and relive that rehabilitation. To have to come back and rest and be responsible and not be a raging lunatic with training and going and training and getting back to day one. I don't want to have to restart. And I feel like because of my age, sometimes restarting means the end. And I don't want to have to do that. So to answer your question, I'd say that starting over with a with a knee injury is, is the scariest part. There's a lot of things that I could do. Um, there's a lot of things that I've been doing that to try and prevent that. But really, definitely I'd say a lower body injury and having to restart is the scariest part. I don't want to have to, like I said, restarting is the end sometimes Ooh. for me. Ooh. So, yeah, the lower lower body injuries are the scariest for me. Restarting is the end. <laughs> i tell you what, that's probably the best thing you said and probably the most fearful thing you said because restarting is the end of something. It truly is. And it does boil down to some of the things we talked about this entire episode. Starting again and killing that version of yourself, understanding the age of something, of where something is in its perspective of age. I love that you said that because that should be your biggest badge of honor. Wow. Because restarting is the end of something. It means you have to admit to yourself that you have to start anew. So you have to kill that version of yourself that said you couldn't do it. You have to. Wow. Because if you were to... If you were to ask me what that means to me, every time I get hurt or I'm fearful or doubtful, it feels like a restart. Yeah. But it's a different man that comes out. It's not like a restart on a computer. It's not the same fucking computer. Right. It's not. It's not, it's not how life is. When you get really fucked up and you get hurt and you age or you grow, and this is, again, this is such a universal topic yeah and we talk about it often just because you're 21 doesn't mean you're not going to experience a career ending injury because i have one of our guys chris yeah supposedly career ending injury at 19 here we are man and <laughs> you know he came back and Looks he's great. doing it right for himself With you know stupid body and hair he's all right what idiot stupid car all he does is eat sushi <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> He's going to fucking die when he has this <laughs> shit. I can tell you this right now. What an asshole. He's going to be like, oh my God, my whole life has been fucking purposeful. <laughs> um, I'll tell you the truth. I love that statement because it is the end of something. Yeah. And you have to kind of sit with yourself for a little bit. Um, And I love that. And it's terrible at the same time. <laughs> because one of the last people I want to sit with entirely is myself. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I tell you, the biggest issue that we we experience is sitting with ourselves. And that's that whole, like, everyone's all mindful and 
and we got to do this and we got to do that. I'm like, yeah, but mindfulness is supposed to teach you how to be good with being yourself and how to be okay with being by yourself mm-hmm. and, 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 and living with your concepts and, and like telling yourself, hey, man, I can sit with my own thoughts for 10 hours. Which is fucking wow. Yeah. Nice. I don't think so, pal. But we do this constantly. Yeah. Um, so to tie things together, we're going to we kind of bring, I always like to kind of bring the concepts back of, of what the fuck's going on, right? If you're training for something, if you have purpose, if you care about something truly, you have to kind of come to terms with the fact that you're going to consistently reinvent yourself, which means you have to end certain parts of yourself, yeah. which means certain things will end. Like we say, everything ends. <laughs> you have to understand these concepts. So when we're talking about an aging athlete, when we're talking about growing into a new sport or having difficulty. Some of you that have never experienced it, you will. You fucking will. Just a matter of when. It's just a matter of when. And it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't fucking matter how long you've been around in, the, in this world. It's those different ages that we talked about. When you have to reinvent yourself, you have to fucking let go of certain things. We say more weight, obviously. Because letting go of something is the heaviest burden you will ever put on your fucking sled in your fucking life. So letting go of things is just a philosophy of adding more fucking weight to your fucking burden, which means you have to grow stronger. When you get older in your sport, in your responsibilities, in your choices, in your positions in life, you're going to have to get, you have to let go of certain things. You can't just harp on everything. Because you're going to damage yourself. That's not a sign of a good leader. It's not a sign of somebody who's going to persevere and keep going. So we constantly do this. You get hurt. You get beat up. You miss a fucking rep. You're frustrated. You know how hard it is to let go of that? That is the most weight you will ever add. That is the most responsibility, the most the heaviest accountability you will ever have in anything. And if that doesn't transcend into bigger parts of your life, you're either fucking blind or you're not training hard enough. Yeah. Because letting go of failures doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't mean you made a bad decision to get to that injury or you made a bad decision to fail that rep or you didn't do the proper training. It doesn't mean forgetting these concepts. And we were talking earlier about aging into a sport or getting older and the old wolf concept. I don't think that I'm literally old. Yeah. I don't. I mean, on the inside, but... I don't say that and I don't have it tattooed on my fucking fingers because I think I'm this cool guy that's old. I do it to remind myself to fucking understand what age means in the different aspects of my life. Yeah. And to fucking appreciate that I've aged in something. To take that into perspective as a badge of honor, as a way, as a code saying, look, motherfucker, you've made it. Yeah. You've made it just more and more year, one more day. A lot of us are beat the fuck up, man, in life. We're in life all the time, dude. All the time. All my fucking, all, all the time. But you're aging. You're lucky enough to be fucking aging, to be one day considered older in this perspective. Yeah. And if you don't see yourself in these constant moments of getting better, getting 
older and pushing forward and persevering, you're fucking failing. It's just flat out, dude. So everyone asks me, and it's a concept, concept all the time. You know, I hear it. No old wolf, and you know, you're not old. I'm like, no, it's not that I'm, I, don't, I mean, consider myself older than a 60-year-old. I get it. <laughs> yeah. But what am I trying to do to put myself in a position where I need to fucking mature and I need to catch up? And this is coming from a motherfucker that, I was drunk last night, dog. I'm not a great person. Same. I'm like, I thought I'm not a, a piece of shit per <laughs> se, but I recognize these things. And in some places, I really need to age. I really need to grow. Yeah. I need to mature. I need to experience responsibilities. And a lot of us see sports that way. We see competition as a way of forcing us to put us in a position of, of learning, of, of, of maturing, of this is why we diet. This is why I'm not going to you know, eat this shitty ass food. Yeah. Or stay out late. Because these are our choices. This is what sports does, the beauty of things. So when I constantly, I, I, I embellish these concepts, I, I get very wordy about it. Yeah. Because these words, these mottos, these tattoos are literally the fundamentals of me trying to get up every morning and being like, yo, man, this is a tough day. Yeah. Isn't it funny that that, that wordiness or that expression is looked at as dramatic? It is. And it's like... Just because I speak more words than you yeah, doesn't mean that. Just because I can't spell doesn't mean I don't know a bunch of fucking words, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's dramatic to people who fear lives that are boring, who live lives that are boring. Exactly. It People tell, you know, oh, man, you know, the, the, I'm like, it's dramatic because your life is is not exciting. And when something's not passionate, when you don't have passion, nothing is exciting. Yeah. I'm not saying... I'm not trying to use the word dramatic in the sense of being overly dramatic and being ridiculous, but there's drama in words because we seek romance. We seek passion. We seek value. We seek a world where we can dive so far deep that if we come up for air, we're a little bit better than we were fucking yesterday. Yeah. That if at least I'm drowning, I'm drowning in a world that is full of uh, glory and adventure and pain and sacrifice and fucking work. And that's what sport does for some of us, not everybody. Great. If it doesn't do it for you, great. But dig deeper. That's what those words mean. That's why when I write or when you write or when we post certain things, there's certain Easter eggs of value, certain gems that only appear to people who search and live the rest of their life digging deep for diamonds of passion and value and purpose and legacy. Because the only way to fucking find this shit is to get your hands dirty. Yeah. And that's why we love this shit, you know? Yeah. And when going back to the question earlier, man, like when people ask me, they're like, why do you do it? Look in my eyes, dog. I cannot not do it. Yeah. Because it's it's what I live for. It's what I would die for. Yeah. And not many people can say that. I know some people can. I really can. I really know that. You know, just like some people, oh, I'll die for my kid. I'm like, well, yeah, you know what, dog? That's your responsibility. <laughs> kind of have to. You genetically. Right, and I'm not taking anything away from parenthood. I'm not. I'm just trying to put this into perspective. Yeah. Nobody has to die for a sport. That's look, man. I get it. We've all been there, myself included. Where I'm like, I'll die in that ring. I don't care. And it <laughs> it makes me not laugh. It's more like a ooh, it's more like a sigh where I'm like, you saw that 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 scene with Mike Tyson. Where he does kind of like that. He's crying, saying... Yeah, talking about how he feels like a bitch. Yeah, feels like a bitch. And I laughed. And yeah. I was speaking about this this week. 
Um, and I'm just speaking for myself. Sure. I was brought up as a fighter. So for four to five years, the only thing I thought about was breaking somebody. Every single day of my life for those years, I just thought about hurting somebody else. That's all you have to think about. You get bred into that where some people learn it in the street, some people learn it in certain sports. The only thing that motivated me was to cause fucking damage and fucking destroy somebody. You can't turn that off. Ever. Once that flip is switched, it is on. It's like when a dog kills something, like a duck. He is now going to kill any duck he sees because he turned on that killer instinct. Yeah. He has now switched on that, that savagery, that wild animal. And then there's civilization trying to turn it off, but it's not fucking turn it off because you can't. It's the first time you hit somebody. When you fucking crack them, you're like, because that's that wild animal in you. Yeah. And that's what I was bred. That's how what, what my athleticism came from. Mm. I can't turn that off. It's hard for me sometimes. And I saw Mike Tyson. Now, I'm not comparing myself anywhere near Mike Tyson, dog. Not even close. But there's a relation. But there. there's a relation there. And I remember I, I got emotional watching that. I heard the podcast and I got emotional when I heard that. Because as we get older, as we continue in these positions, like you wonder if you're going to be the one that just one day switches that off. Mm. You're gonna, you hope that that switch doesn't just one day plop. And you search and you persevere and it's that fucking struggle to keep that little switch going, that killer instinct that I can really fuck something up if I have to. And I, you know, in my reference in my life, it's, it's that violence, mm. but it can be for anybody. It could be somebody who's experienced virtues and riches and love and passion. Once you feel that feeling, you can't turn that off. And so when somebody asks me, why do you keep doing what you're doing? It's like, I can't turn this <laughs> off guy. Yeah. I put myself in a position where. It's like that dream. I can't undream something. I love it. I can't control. I wish I can control dreams and I get the concept that sometimes you can't, but you can't control what goes in your head that night. Sure. I can't control that feeling of it existing in my fucking bones, my spirit. I can't. And the moment that something tries to shut it off, I'm going to fight with every ounce possible. And the only reason why some of us are alive is for that fight. I'm really glad that you brought that Mike Tyson bit up. I've been in a lot of altercations <laughs> in terms of like life, a lot of fighting, right. you know, street fights and stuff like that. But more so, I connected to that moment because, as you said, it was, I would physically want to break people. Mm. And I got to a point in my life where I wanted to damage people for the wrong reasons. Right. I was like, do you know what it's like to feel like I do, motherfucker? I'm going to make sure you do. Mm -hmm. And I became obsessed with breaking people another way. Mm -hmm. And sport has given me the gift of being able to get out of that. Right. And so now people are like, man, you're such a nice guy. And I'm like, you don't know how <laughs> fucking hard I worked to be considered a nice guy. Yeah, and they're like, now do you consider me a bitch? Right. And I, it's funny because that might be the mentality is like, oh, John's never, you know, he, he's lived a good life. He's never been that. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. And I, it's funny you mentioned that. I don't know why I always start things with it's funny. <laughs> Probably just to give it a lighter tone. Yeah, sure. I'm glad you brought that up because a big deal. I said this recently. 
A true leader is somebody that stands with his vulnerabilities. I will follow man or woman to hell, one-way ticket, if they show me what they're standing with and what they stand against and what they're scared of. Because it's how they're standing with it that proves that they're, they have courage. It proves that they're a fucking leader. Leaders, <clears throat> leaders don't clock out. It's a 24-7 gig. Being an athlete is a 24-7 gig. Sometimes I fucking fail at it. I fail at it. <laughs> but the effort is 24-7. Yeah. And that's important to me to see in people and myself is to recognize those things and to find a way to portray it so that you can teach other people that if I do it, you can too. Sometimes that comes with words and music and posts and drawings and perspective. But one way that shows us all consistently is sport. Because no one has ever stepped on the battlefield with true passion without having to overcome some shit. Some of us more than others. And it's the most constructive way, I find, to prove to others that I still can, so can you. And it's hard for me. And it's that, 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 that thing was, I just sometimes want to just say that. Like, I just want to say, here's what I have to deal with. I go, but then I'm telling you what to do. Yeah. And you're going to break down. You're going to shy away from that responsibility. But if I write, if I express, if I get on these podcasts, if I, if I show you my internal struggles and that I'm standing with them, sometimes not proudly, but I'm standing with them, that's what leaders do. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have to talk about my fucking bad knee. Or my stupid bicep, or my back, or the other injuries. The only reason why I fucking talk about them is because it's important for other people to understand that, hey man, this is really happening. <laughs> yeah. Like this happens all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fucking valuable. And and hearing you say that and expressing that we all have that, right? We all have that concept of you don't know what I've been through. I almost want to show you. Yeah. I want to either punch it through your face or I want to tell you physically but that's not leadership that then all people should strive for some sort of leadership because like it or not you're going to be placed in that position whether it's parenthood or being a big brother or sister it doesn't matter you're going to be placed in a position of leadership somehow somewhere where somebody's looking up to you whether their life depended on it or not small scale social media exactly tons of podiums being fucking bastardized so stand with your vulnerabilities, uh, express them in a way that they become tools, fears as motivators. That motivation is a fucking thing. Yeah. And I express that, that, that value and that we all have that internal struggle. That if I can just go back to where I feel like I want to be, it's just going to be so much easier. But that's not really the purpose. And that doesn't build the purpose that typically anyone really wants. Yeah, And it's, it's something that I learned in the ring and I learned in sport and it's one of the most valuable fucking lessons I've ever experienced and I tell people when they they compete I'm like you have just stepped into a realm and a world that you will never forget and no one can take this away from you yeah and that when you have something that no one can take away from you when people ask you why you do it that's a reason you can't take that away from me your doubt and your criticisms and your fear you can't like that person you can't take that dream away from me it's there 
It's deep. It's done. It's tattooed on my fucking soul, which I say all the time. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's just it's just something that I truly believe in. And I get passionate about that motherfucker because I'm passionate about that shit. And it means the world to me. And it bring it brings value to that. Sport, competing, pain, uh, sacrifice, all that fear. That's that's purpose. And uh, it's a big part of this fucking podcast because we're talking about aging and aging not only in a sport but in life and your different roles and all these concepts of it. Yeah. But if you view it from a different perspective, man, it's not that fucking bad. You know what I mean? The yeah. alternatives are much, much worse. And I don't like to be that kind of guy. I was like, oh, it could be worse. I'm like, yeah, I know. I said it before. I'm like, I know it could be fucking worse, guy. I get it. <laughs> I but fucking I God, hate, I hate that. that response. Hate that. It's yeah. so shitty. I'm like, look, bro, let me just explain to you why it is this way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's been one of the greatest lessons that sport has taught me. Yeah. Amongst a billion of them. Um, and it's been it's been because I chose to be this way. I chose this athletic life. You know, when people ask me all the time, they're like, are you going to stop, dude? Or are you always injured? I'm like, it's not that I'm always injured. It's that I talk about it. Right. Like none of my, like a lot of my people that I, when I was coming up in sport, no one was ever hurt. So what <laughs> the fuck? You know, I was like, is this, am I the only one? Remember we talked about this. Yeah. So yeah, man, if I tweak my bicep, I'm like, I tweak my fucking bicep. This is what I'm going to do. This really sucks. I'm upset. But this is what I'm going to do to work on it because... When you tweak your fucking bicep, know that other people have to go through it too. Yeah. And that's important. As a position of leadership, it's important. Yeah, you have to create relate relatability. You need people to understand what they're going through is something that other people have gone through. Exactly. <laughs> fucking exactly. Yeah, we get it. I mean, um, we're we're currently doing our live. Oh, yeah, we are. So thank you for everyone for joining us. And we want to say again, Miami's baddest still happening. Yeah, Miami's baddest. Yeah, just for the record, now it's on the podcast, so I can't fucking lie. Miami's baddest is still happening. Um, hell or high water, dog. <laughs> like I said, even if it's I'm like I don't want to say this and exclude anybody, but even if it's me judging like seventy people, we'll figure this out. Goddamn right. But like I said earlier, people are gonna commit. I have not had m anyone really cancel. Um, just to answer those questions, I know that this is a fucking difficult time. As a nation, and it's pretty interesting how the world is coming together. Uh, I don't have any fucking plans to cancel this. I don't have any intentions. I don't want to fucking cancel it. And I'm telling you right now, dude, it is on CrossFit Kendall, Paul, and Dario. You guys have been amazing. You guys are going to continue the show. So shout out to CrossFit Kendall because they have literally told me that they will stay open not only as a facility but for the event. Yeah. Um, and not to sound too fucking too cliche, but it's a it's a good fucking cause, man. And I'd hate to fucking cancel this shit, not to raise over $1,000 for fucking charity because shit's going fucking bananas. And yeah. I'm not going to fucking cancel this fucking show. I'm not, dude. I'm not. Like, okay, even, you know, it's it's silly. And maybe you, you would think this is silly, but even if they go there and shut us down with police and somebody gets arrested, we'll take the most points from that moment on and we will crown the winner and you'll get your fucking axe. Like, it's at that fucking level, dude. Yeah. Like, I know this sounds silly, but it's a silly time because there's no toilet paper and shit. Everything's funny. Let's say we get canceled at one o'clock. Yeah. And I'm not going to get arrested, but let's say I do. That would be great media, right? <laughs> let's say that happens. We will take the highest scoring people from that event and you will be crowned winner, which means 
Don't fucking lose. <laughs> Do really good. Really good at everything. <laughs> Let me just be very clear. Win everything. If you pace yourself, this is not the time. Again, shout out to all you motherfuckers on fucking Instagram, on yeah. the strongman community, because the only thing I've gotten is, are you canceling? And I'm like, no. They're like, fuck yeah. Because mm. nobody wants to not come. And that's awesome, dude. That's a cool thing to our community. It's a great culture to have. So, again, this is a big, like we were talking earlier about Miami's baddest and, and just the culture that is built over the years. Again, look, man, uh, the state chair, Allen and them, they, no, they're coming, dog. It's not like yeah. this. It's, it's expected to happen, which is a strongman thing. Yeah. Now, I get it. Those people that have hosted competitions in big venues, they have to cancel. Sure. But we technically are a small show. So just promote it as a small thing happening. Yeah, according to our egos, <laughs> to there's 10,000 people there. But, but it's really like 25, and then my mom shows up <laughs> or something like so. Which is like, she accounts for like thousands. Right, exactly. She's like a thousand. So I'm going to shout out and a big uh, hello and a goodbye to the uh, Instagram live. Uh, yeah, because if you want to hear this closing question, you're going to need to listen. Yes, you got to listen. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, guys. Big shout out. We will be on later today, or if not later this week. Mm. With Q&A next Saturday. Everything Miami's, Miami's baddest. baddest. So yes. you guys better get your fucking notes together. Write your questions down now. Dude, that was great. I thought that was great. Yeah, always. Everything it's we like do is a great. show within a show. Yeah. That's how fucking athletic we are. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> so um, I want to leave this as the final question because, <sighs> you know, I love these. <clears throat> with all that you face in life, especially with... Uh, Miami's baddest and the time in making sure that Miami's baddest runs the way it does. Do you find the process a type of therapy for you? And and why exactly have you found yourself almost relentlessly pursuing this show, this process? Because I feel like as we say, you could say, I am not mentally able or physically able or emotionally able to do this. And nobody would ever take f that from you. They would say, oh, come on, man. They would say, you know what, man? I fucking get it. So is this a way to, I guess, face the things that have happened? And you don't have to d obviously dive into what happened, but... We know there's been challenges. <sighs> uh, first week of April is a difficult week for me. And uh, it's coming. Comes in waves. Difficulty comes in waves. Hardships comes in waves. So do good things. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it really is like life is this, uh, it's this ocean of events and currents and, uh, uncontrollable things, hurricanes and just events where some days you're floating in the sun and and it's just a a rough situation where it it boils down to to a situation where I think really it you can't quit on things and you have to be placed in a position where again to touch base and I really feel it in my bones. But it certainly makes me feel like something really, truly is important and valuable. 
So to respond to this this concept of what is going on and why this competition is so important and, and, and has such a bigger value to me, it's because what we talked about earlier in the episode. When you really are in search of yourself, when you're in search of purpose, when you're in search of legacy, when you are competing for bigger reasons, when you're really digging down and which is the climb up, isn't it? You have to place these scenarios and these challenges. You have to build the very mountains that you are going to climb. You have to dig out of the holes you fucking dug yourself in. Just like you have to stand in the mountains you build yourself up for. I can't change that first week. I can't. I can't change what he did. I can't change what anybody did. But I can certainly rise. And I want others to feel that responsibility. I want others to feel that. And I know it sounds, well, there's probably people listening to this moment, they're like, this is bullshit. And this is so dramatic and this is so over the top. I go, yeah, but that's how I fucking live. That's the same energy that gets me up in the fucking morning. That's the same fucking energy that makes me drive forward. And it's the same energy that helps me deadlift 135 when I'm hurt to bird dogging for a year because I couldn't fucking train. And maybe that's you. You know, maybe it's fucking not. I can't change that first week. I can't change the responsibilities of the world right now. I can't change that aspect, but I can certainly control what I put into my fucking efforts, what I put into my fight. And in many cases, it's our fight. It's our competition. It's our week. It's our month. It's our podcast. It's our gym. It's our clan. It's our colors. To have that concept of us and we is the very purpose of living. As solitude as you want to act it and as fucking rare and as alone you want to be, finding purpose bigger than yourself is the only reason to be alive sometimes. And I have placed myself in these scenarios where I have to be there. Miami's baddest is significant because it is five years of purpose. It is reflective of what I started off with a silly fucking thought. And it's a lot bigger than myself because I place over the top dramatic purposes in my life to keep me going. I need it. I need it and I'm very grateful all the time for anyone who shows up and signs up, not because it's a financial fucking endeavor, but because I need to know that there is a difference being fucking made. I need it. I need it like I need to breathe. I need to know that there's a difference being made, that something somewhere is being changed, that one wave has crashed against the shore and has moved one grain of sand in that desert of difficulty that I feel all the time. I need it. And so when I look at Miami's Baddest and I look at what's going on and the endeavors and the difficulty of aging and breaking body parts and everything rapidly falling apart, I understand that to restart something is to end something. I know that this is going to come with its own values, its own challenges, its own lessons where I'm new at something. I'm new to rehabbing this knee and I value it. Not some pussy meme, not some bullshit fucking, oh, this is the greatest thing. It's not the greatest thing. I fucking wish my knee didn't hurt putting on my goddamn jeans. But you know what? I have to be something better now, don't I? I have to fucking work harder every goddamn day. That's that, that old wolf mentality. Earn your gray hairs, right? Earn your stitches. Earn your scars. Besides being an interesting motherfucker at the bar, 
It's going to make you a valuable leader one day. Trust me. Believe that motherfucker. I can't tell you it's easy. I wish, I wish, I, everyone, it's so stupid. Everyone's, if it was easy, everyone could do it. Well, guess what? Everyone can do anything, anytime, anywhere. It's those who last. It's those who keep fucking going. That feel it in their bones every day. That push forward left and right and give and take and break and turn. And they come home and it's, it's doubtful. It's fearful. It's, it's fucking empty. It is a taste of some old, something damp and dark. And it's fucking like a dungeon in your brain and in your body. And you need that. You need that so fucking bad. And you need that in your body. You need to know the counter of greatness, the counter of glory and the counter of everything going right for you. And that only comes when you love something so deep, you keep fucking going until your body completely shuts the fuck down. And then you keep going. Maybe some of you get it. Maybe some of you don't. I get it. I understand because you just haven't found it yet, but you will. So when somebody asks you why you keep doing it, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to say a goddamn thing. Because no one can take that away from you. That person, that thing, that feeling, it's forever. This is MDLP. This is the Battle Axe Podcast. Saying don't be a pussy. Everything ends.